This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon, everybody. As an introduction, I have to say that... um, I gave a fair bit of thought to this talk because the virtue, by virtue of the content of it, because the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, as he started out, as we well know, has provided us with something like a third, at least, of the New Testament scriptures. So how does one give a sort of character study in that way? And what I've decided to do, rightly or wrongly, I've, I've... divided it down into these 14 sections and given you a handout of this so you can sort of help me track through what we're trying to uh, trying to look at because uh, otherwise it's very difficult and one uh, sort of doesn't get a, a right breakdown of what one's trying to do right So we start off with, let let me go down down to the bottom first of all, because I think it's quite interesting. Um, We've got actually three journeys, and I've I've put them up on here. I was just saying, I've I've never seen a chart like this in another Christadelphian meeting. I I went around ever so much trying to find something, came in here, and there's one right on the back door that they are. (laughs) Mind (laughs) better. So... Here are the basic... His first journey uh, was from Antioch through to Pathos and then Perga and Derby and then back back in the triangle. So his, his very first journey was quite a small journey. Then the second journey, which I've got on here in red, uh, that, that encompasses going over to Asia and he gets actually to Berea over there and Athens and so on and then comes back again now the third journey I haven't got on there because okay it is not exactly the same what I'm illustrating by saying this now uh, is the amount of work that he did, the amount of travel that he did over that road you remember the sorts of ships uh, that he would have had were very, very minimum and on what I find interesting on that bottom little chart <coughs> the journey distance then of 1581 I don't know where the one comes from but anyway that's what it said 1581 miles um, and it took him 53 days so it's over a month and I've also broken it down to approximate cost so the cost for doing that in those days that's that 237 denarii if you transfer that into months wages how many months do you have to work to do that? That's one and a half months' wages that would have gone in as to, to pay for that sort of journey. Because it's something we don't often think about. And then the second journey was twice the length. That was 3,050. And it took him 100 days. So that's three and a half months. And the cost is 10 months' wages. So somebody or no doubt it was a group of people the brethren and sisters but equivalent uh, to 10 months saving up 
and putting in hiring the boats and so on and so forth. And of course, boats in those days, I'm not an expert on this, but boats in those days, you didn't sort of set the automatic pilot and, and went and you got the journey. Very often, they just didn't know what route they were going to plan, so we can read it as we see. Um, they would wait for the right wind and hope it would keep blowing to the right place and so on and so forth. And, and very, very sparse conditions on board for all of those distances. So it's, it's not, not, even one of them is not a, something that you or I would undertake without a, a great deal of, of soul searching. It's not like getting on a plane or going on a, uh, on a ship today. So this, this is talking about a person with utter dedication. And, and I don't know if you picked up the things that he says in 2 Corinthians, because I think in 2 Corinthians you get more about his sort of personal background than anywhere else. But what he actually did and how he was uh, in, the, in the deep and, and how the various places that he went had the problems that they did. And what I want to do, if nothing else this afternoon, is to leave us all with a, a recognition and a, a reappraisal. Here's a man who was absolutely driven and, and there was nothing that would get in his way. And uh, th- that's really the, the course of it. And as we read there, one of those well-known things, uh, besides this, he says, the care of all the churches, all the ecclesias, because he was constantly thinking about them. And that really was firing up some of the thoughts I was trying to get across this morning, because, you know, it isn't, it isn't just reading what the Bible says that, we've got to do it once we've taken, taken it on board. It's then the, the, what comes from that and the helping out of people in their circumstances. And that was something. It was a most amazing character that he had <clears throat> because he was able to do that. And yet he was so dedicated uh, to what he was trying to do at the end. And so we'll just go through. So section one. And if we just go back to the Roman Empire, of course, before Rome, we had the Greek Empire. And on Alexander's death, uh, Rome began to extend her uh, influence. And by 63 BC, a Roman general called Pompey captured Palestine and it became part of the, Ro- of the Roman Empire, not just in Palestine. We remember the Assyrian and Babylonian conquests of the Kingdom of Israel and Judah, respectively, which deported thousands of Jews and many also went to Persia, such as Esther. Now, travel in the Mediterranean area during that first century was safer and easier than at any subsequent time because previously, before the Roman peace and the Roman soldiers were distributed throughout the empire, travel was even more haphazard and subject to to all sorts of thieves and and people... uh, absorbing that it certainly was better during uh, the time there and I made the comment that it was wonderful that the conditions did exist did improve slightly in the Roman Empire at this time which enabled uh, Paul to go out and do these trips which previously going back a couple of hundred years it just wouldn't have been safe to accomplish at all so that was uh, providential the Roman Empire, we know that they had their own gods. Gods for everything. Crops, homes, love, war. Some of the emperors became gods after their death. Now the Jews in their dispersion were protected 
by decrees in many temples and soothsayers. Every Roman has had household gods and many religious festivals were allowed. They hated being ruled by foreign rulers. And it's interesting that Sir William Ramsey, he sums up Luke's record as a historian. He says, the present writer, that's William Ramsey, takes the view that Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect of its trustworthiness. Luke is a historian of the first rank. This author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. Now that's a very interesting and wonderful thing to say because the Bible portrays Luke as being uh, inspired by God and as Luke was travelling in a lot of these journeys with the Apostle Paul. And so we can think that the things that happened uh, do faithfully reflect what is recorded here. And uh, But going on to my second heading, the Holy Spirit, you see, early in the morning of the day of Pentecost, the twelve apostles were expectantly waiting in houses as instructed by Jesus. This is before Paul had come on the scene. There was something very special, and suddenly they heard a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and sat upon each one of them. And they started speaking in tongues. So that that was the sort of beginning of the message going to this Roman Empire through these original apostles who had been with Jesus before before he was crucified and then was with him afterward. So the comfort of coming then was very, very important. They spoke with tongues, and I don't think there's any doubt at all uh, that it was a violent thing, and these people heard in their own tongues. Some people try to make out, well, they didn't actually hear with tongues. It was just that they were drunk or something, couldn't understand it. But I think when you look at it, there is no doubt that there was a a definite thing happening at that point. Now, just after this time... uh, Saul of Tarsus, as he was known at that stage, obtained authority from the high priest because the the priests and the people were finding this new religion which was going about and by which and in which people said that the Lord Jesus Christ had been risen again. They'd seen the risen Lord. Uh, The Jewish nation and those who were following the traditional uh, Jewish religion were being very much assaulted by these new ideas and they hated what was happening and none less so than the Apostle Paul who was called Saul at this time he thought it was terrible and wanted to do everything he could to get rid of the Jews religion and so what he had done was to apply to the authorities uh, in the the uh, situation that he, in order as he did to journey to Damascus Uh, in order to find people who believed in this sect, the sect of Christians, who believed in the fact that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. That was the point that Paul just was was totally unable to accept. And in the journey, as he was going on the road to Damascus, uh, the Bible says that there was a great brilliant light which cast cast the travellers to the ground they were all down on the ground with the brightness of the light and there came a a sound a voice saying Saul Saul why persecutest thou me it is hard for thee to kick against the goad 
He must have had terrible misgivings as he heard this and actually spoke back saying, Who art thou, Lord? It was a revelation the like of which he'd never seen. And his, dis- his disputes with Stephen in the synagogue earlier and his, his dying words had probably had tremendous influence on Paul as he tried in vain to make sense of it all. And Saul could no longer kick against what he was afraid he was being forced to believe. He had heard and seen the Lord Jesus who was totally convinced that he was alive. And that, brethren and sisters and friends, it was the crucial point in his, in his life. And the Lord told him he was to be a minister and witness to the Gentiles. This is a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, who normally look at the Jews as being dogs and animals. And he was being opened. And uh, Paul says, is is told to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified. And this visitation, this vision, ended up with Saul of Tarsus being blind for three days. I I just think about that. I suppose any of us suddenly being struck blind, however one would have felt, it it certainly did make a massive impression. And with a a background uh, like Saul's, it was going to take something like that to turn him around. Because what, in fact, he's being asked to do is to go absolutely back on what his whole life had been about, which is to get rid of the Christians and to establish the Jewish faith. And so for three days he was idle. And uh, when what Jesus had said, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And the simple fact that the cross had to come before the crown had been missed by the Jews. Now on the third day of his darkness... Saul, no doubt, praying earnestly day and night for light and guidance. The door was open and a voice said, Brother Saul, how his heart must have leapt at the words. A believer called Ananias laid his hands on him and continued by saying, The Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou chemist, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I suppose not many people, if anybody, has ever heard a more welcome statement when you look at his background. He's been taken out of what he's doing, totally turned round, and here's someone offering something to him. So we won't ponder where he was in Damascus and those things that happened, we haven't got time. But what we can say with characteristic energy, he immediately, as soon as he was well and could see, he started preaching to the Jews in the synagogues of Damascus, powerfully showing that Christ was the Son of God, which he expected them all to think was a marvellous thing. But what actually happened, they were all amazed. And after a while, he retired to Arabia, evidently a quiet place where he could think about the implications and realise that these people, his own people, to whom he was trying to talk, just had no interest in this at all and were totally bent on the whole thing about the Jewish faith. On his return, he soon arranged bitter hatred amongst the Jews and his own brethren, and to escape assassination, uh, he was actually lowered down the city wall in a washing basket to get out of the way. And he made his way to Jerusalem, believing he would be able to convince the Jews he had known and worked with of the truth about Jesus, but not even they would listen. 
after all, he had given up his career because of his conviction, had nothing to gain by becoming a follower of Jesus. But it was met with great disappointment. And although he tried to convince him over a several weeks period, he didn't get anywhere at all with that. And he returned to Tarsus, where he'd started out from, and meeting opposition again, the Jews at Jerusalem would not be convinced, Saul courageously tried to make them realise. Depart, for I will send thee forth, hence unto the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit says to the Apostle Paul. Paul, who is now called, Saul, who is now called Paul. And so he was taken and invited to go on to uh, a first missionary journey. Paul the Apostle, uh, slide <clears throat> four. And uh, however, between AD 45 and 46, the Holy Spirit instructed them to embark on their travels to spread abroad the truth. And the Acts of the Apostles says, The Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So the fulmination of what he has done, and he's turned round in his direction, he's now actually going out on that first missionary journey through to Antioch and back. He was going to be going uh, in order to take this good news to others there. And that was the, the first of the journeys. They embarked on a ship which took them to Cyprus. This was the country of Barnabas. We can only speculate as to the feelings of Saul and Barnabas, but here was the opportunity. And remember, the, most of the Jews, who were, most of the people in the area were in fact pagans, and they had all these other gods which I mentioned just now. And he, he set off from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, uh, where John Mark left them. And then he went on to Iconium and then happened a series of things because they, the people so hated when he talked to them about the risen Jesus that they would take violently to him. In Iconium, for example, he went into the synagogue and told the great multitude of Jews and Greeks to believe. But again, a hardcore of the Jews stirred up the Gentiles against the apostles. And the story of this is very repetitive because what has actually happened is that there's a small, relatively small cadre of Jews who started following Paul round on these journeys. And these were people who said, well, okay, you might be baptised into Jesus Christ, okay. But even if you're baptised into Jesus Christ, you need to keep the whole of the Jewish law and be circumcised that, and that really of these early church things that was, that was the main thing uh, that they were after that, but uh, Paul was saying that that wasn't necessary that once you'd been baptised into Christ then you're into that new idea this high feeling led to the first threat of violence as a plan was laid to actually stone the apostles and this was the reaction that he got and it started up repeatedly it was actually against his life that they were leading it and of course one of the other things was that people were very uh, interested and taken by the message of the apostle Paul and by his powerful preaching and the things that he could say had happened to him and so on and how he could say he had heard Jesus Christ and what was actually happening was, was that people were going more over to the Christians and had left less interest 
in what the Jews were having to say. So that there was a, a real competitive thing happening between the Jews and the Christians. And that was something that they could see was threatening them. And he, Paul went on to Iconium and that the Jews went across to there and also tried to uh, take him captive. So more preaching of the gospel ensued in this city and then in spite of the threats that Paul had suffered they retraced their steps through Lystra and Iconium back to Antioch. And he exhorted those that he was with to continue in the faith saying we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. So he came back through on this first journey and, and back again and this is where he had these terrible experience in Paphos and back to Antioch and that was the end uh, of that uh, first journey but now I want you to notice what he says through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God so he was very very clear that the problems that he was going to face was there and, and that the believing in the risen Lord was something that would bring this terrible problem to him remembering up to now before he was taken uh, he had been a leader of the Jews. He'd sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the great leader of the, of the Orthodox Jews. And, but now he is, he is recognising he's going to be the butt of great problem. Now, I'm talking now, section 6, about the council at Jerusalem, that, because what was actually happening, there was this continuing pressure between Jews and baptised Gentiles, claiming that in spite of having embraced the gospel of Jesus, Gentiles still had to be circumcised. And so there was this council at Jerusalem organised to which Peter and all the apostles went. And the agreed con conclusion from that was that they would not have to. They finally, as it were, put out, out of court the fact of what they had to do in order to pre preach their religion, that they didn't have to do certain things. And, and uh, what... Peter concluded, he said, by pleading that no additional yoke should be placed on the necks of potential Gentile converts in terms of keeping of the law of Moses. And the agreed conclusion was that basically they should abstain from idolatry, from impurity, from eating of things strangled, and from eating blood. And that was the, the simple way out of this. Unfortunately, as the rest of the history tells us, that never went away this thing about the Jews uh, saying that in order to be saved you had to keep the whole of the law of Moses that then happened and kept on happening but again the character of Paul and his friends was that he had to keep on what he had been told he going in then after this council at Jerusalem they take up the, pen, the paper that uh, they'd had that they'd written out as to what was going to happen and started to take it on a second journey round to all the ecclesias so everybody could know. And when Paul got to Troas, he saw a vision of a man of Macedonia beseeching him to come and help them. And when he had seen the vision, Paul, Luke says, we sought to go forth into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So we see here again the involvement of the Lord Jesus Christ, who remember that he was taken up to heaven and remember that uh, before that time he had said to his 12 disciples that he must needs go 
and it was essential for him to to give up his life in order to do other things and we can see how the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven was as it were directing the apostles and the apostle Paul as to where to go so he went to Philippi and a public outcry came and they were brought before the magistrates again and this time they were imprisoned in Philippi now what did they do what would a man like Paul and his, and his compatriots do well what they actually did they were singing hymns in the night uh, they wouldn't have a hymn book and an organ to sing by, sing by because it would almost certainly be an absolute pitch black in that prison cell and they were singing hymns knowing and believing they were miraculously released from their bonds by a great earthquake and afterwards the jeweler was baptised and the brethren were released and that was the beginning of the ecclesia at Philippi so we see that in spite of the, the terrible persecution that these things are being worked through and then they reached Thessalonica and Paul reasoned with the Jews out of the, again we reasoned with them out of the scripture uh, this is the sort of direction that they've gone they've started off from Antioch and they have travelled to Thessalonica again this tremendous amount of journey which they're doing why would one undertake such a journey as that with all the hazards of sea journey and then knowing what was leaving them at the end they reached and they said they should expect their promised Messiah and that they should have expected that the Messiah was to suffer and in Thessalonica many believed but in Berea just adjacent to it there are a lot of Jews there who were found who were, it says were very open minded they, and they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so so there was a, a wonderful response whether the things of the scriptures were then brought to bear and many of them believed but there were still envious Jews of Thessalonica and hearing of the things happening in Berea just along the way uh, they then followed Paul in order to stop the work going on and having got to that point they then went on <coughs> uh, down through Achaia to Athens where, Athen, where in Athens Paul made one of his uh, remarkable speeches you remember where he spoke to them they, they took him to Mars Hill which was a debating chamber as it were um, and he disputed with them and they brought him to the court and he highlighted one altar you may remember it was dedicated to the unknown God and certainly the Athenians did not know about the one true God of Israel and so he proceeded to declare them but although it struck out the whole basis of idol worship and so on he told them and kept on telling them because they needed to repent because Christ had been raised from the dead and the people though found this idea unacceptable one after another in spite of personal witnesses the Jews were totally unable to do anything to accept it and uh, generally the response was to turn against Paul and try to put him to death he went on to Corinth where he met some Jews and then Priscilla and Aquila who became lifelong friends 
And whilst in Corinth, Paul heard that new believers were being persecuted. Now this is a very important point now once he's got to Corinth because he's set up these various ecclesias that we've just been thinking of. But while he was in Corinth, he heard that new believers who he'd already convinced and been baptised previously in his journeys that new believers were being persecuted like he was. And so, well, what would be his response then? Well, what he did was to start writing his letters. So this is the beginning uh, of his letters. Remember what we said and what he said in 2 Corinthians, that that which cometh on me daily, the care of all the churches, all the ecclesias, which he felt responsible for and which he was trying to keep, because once he baptised them, he was trying to keep them in the truth. And so he laboured there something like 18 months and set up a house next door to the synagogue. This is the beginning of Paul's wonderful letters. About AD 51, we have as a time for that, and uh, he followed by the first letter to the Thessalonians and about three months later, the second letter to Thessalonians. So then when we're reading these epistles and so on and so forth, we just keep in mind now what the background was and where they had actually come from. <clears throat> and then from Antioch, uh, Paul, having got back to Antioch, he commenced his third journey going through Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So knowing that there was problems and pressures coming on those that he converted, he went back. And he stayed there for two years as a tent maker in Ephesus in the school of Tyrannus and teaching about Jesus spread and miracles were performed. And here he came up against another sort of problem because in Ephesus there was the great big temple to Diana and all the service uh, that was done and, and the, the things which were bought, the silver charms and so on, of which uh, there, there was a great trade and money was made. And what happened was that the people, they found that people were no longer buying those charms in the, in the same sort of way, that people were no longer interested in Diana of the Ephesians. And so a new experience then, they all, all the people stood up and said, great is Diana of the Ephesians for two hours, to sort of show that they weren't going, some of them weren't going to accept Paul. And uh, after the uproar ceased, and caused by Demetrius, Paul left Ephesus and went again into Macedonia and returned through Asia Minor. And <clears throat> after parting from the Ephesian elders, they continued their journey to Caesarea. Uh, and that was a, a very problematic time as far as Paul was concerned. There it is. So as his journeys went on, this is the third journey we're talking about now on section 9. After parting from the Ephesian elders, they continued to Caesarea where they stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist and picking up others as he was going by. The Jews, though, were still following and they were still demanding that Gentile Christians must be circumcised and keep the whole ritual of the Jewish law. And as a result of this, from this centre, Paul wrote the epistles to the Galatians and Rome, setting out the true position. 
So that concluded what is known as Paul's third missionary journey. When he went and spoke to the Ephesian brethren, uh, he told them that it was probably the last time he would see them and not see them face to face. Uh, And so what he wanted to do was to go to Jerusalem. Now, he particularly wanted to defend himself against the Jews in Jerusalem. But there was another factor that we haven't mentioned so far, and that was another purpose that he was fulfilling Uh, each time he went and saw the the church and got people together and that was all the time he was trying to collect money funds and he was carrying them carrying that money with him in order to give and to spread out uh, the the little largesse which there was to others of the of the brethren particularly in Jerusalem where there are a number of priests who used to have the money Uh, from the temple because they were no longer priests they didn't have that money and so the apostle Paul was intent on trying to connect collect uh, money and give it to them and it wasn't just simply as it were trying to get money from them what he was trying to do was to get the brethren and sisters in the ecclesias which didn't have terrible problems to get them to willingly think about their brethren and sisters who are going through all these problems and when he called it their fruit what he wanted wasn't the money although he wanted the money he wanted their fruit i.e. their willingness and and their wanting uh, to help their other brethren and sisters so there again is the complexity of the depth of what he was trying to do it wasn't just to help them out uh, but he was trying to get people well really devoted and dedicated like he himself was uh, in order to carry out those things and uh, when he got to Rome of course he had a previous problem Uh, there were again the Roman peoples uh, were mobbing him and he was only saved uh, by the commander of the Roman fort and he had to be delivered from the violence of the mob by the Roman arms. He was taken into the castle where the chief captain proposed to examine him by scourging and of course that was the occasion when Paul said well hold on I am a Jewish citizen you can't you can't do that to me. The captain fearing lest he should be called to account for arresting and binding a Roman released him. So again so Paul was prepared to use any means, any lawful means, to be able to go on and never to turn back, to, but to keep on this path he was set on. And uh, then at the same time, Paul, before, Paul appeared before the Jewish council in Jerusalem, and the captain brought Paul before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and Paul, what did what would he speak of when coming in front of these people? He spoke of the resurrection of the dead. He never tired of that. That was always the first thing. That, that because he'd seen the risen Christ, and that was the thing which fired him through through all of these difficulties, he never never went back on that. And of course, this divided the council of the fact because the Pharisees, on the, on the one hand, accepted the resurrection of Christ, whereas the Sadducees accepted neither. So Paul, having stuck his defence and said what he believed in, well, he sort of stood back in a sense and left them arguing the toss amongst themselves. 
but there was still such a, a, a problem happened that he was in fact removed by force from the council chamber fearing that, that he might be torn in pieces and then he was placed in front of a, a, a Tertullus who was um, a man of letters as it were who was hired by the Jews to sort of destroy the case before it starts of uh, what Paul was putting forward but that did not work and Paul was able to hold on to uh, to his arguments that he had made and he was in fact uh, held up because there was no decision made under uh, Felix and uh, Festus took his place and in that time over two years Paul was left as a prisoner and he was held there for something two years at Caesarea and uh, he kept on putting forward his faith but then what he did was again to make use you see of everything that he had he was a Roman soldier a Roman civilization, and uh, he was able to appeal to Caesar because that was the case in the Roman Empire at the end of the day people could appeal directly to Caesar and because he was getting nowhere uh, in what he was trying to do um, he appealed to Caesar and uh, Festus says and he's recorded so if this man hadn't hadn't appealed to Caesar then he could have been released because throughout all of these defences they were unable to find that there was anything wrong with what he was saying he was simply saying that this man Jesus Christ had been risen from the dead so I'm coming to our uh, character study of uh, the Apostle Paul Uh, in accordance with custom Paul was early taught a trade the craft selected being that of tent maker as a boy he was sent by his parents to Jerusalem to undergo a course of training for the rabbinical profession and that's why he's able to say he was brought up uh, by one at the feet of Gamaliel who they would all know what could we say about Paul's character probably the most dominant of his motivations in his great efforts to serve the Lord was the constant remembrance of his previous life he never forgot that he could never rest and it was a terrible thing we don't often think of the fact that on many occasions or at least in some occasions when he went to preach in these various places on his trip there would be someone sat there who either he himself had caused to be put in jail or whose relative had either been jailed or even actually put to death by Paul, Saul of Tarsus, uh, as a result of what he had previously believed. I wonder how, how one would feel if one was going in, into a meeting here and one knew that someone was absolutely terribly against uh, what one was saying because of what had happened before. But none of those things uh, put Paul back at all. For I am the least of the apostles. That's why he called himself the least of the apostles. What a, a humble man with all that he accomplished. What a character be, to, to be able to say that. For I am the least of the apostles that have not meet to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Paul's original nature had three sort of dominant features. Pride, conscience and love. And they stood in that order. After many years of serving Christ, you could perhaps put them round in a different order. Love first, conscience next and pride last and that's what was what happened uh, to Paul's character 
the same earnestness of convictions strength of will and vitality went into his Judaism and his Christianity for after the straightest sect he lived so what he put into first of all in hailing them and putting them in prison he then put dynamically into his life introducing the Lord Jesus Christ such that he could say unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without law that I might gain those that are without law to the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak I was made all things to all men there's such an example if we're trying to preach to other people to try to remove out of the area all human things and material things that would stop people listening and Paul was able throughout his life to drain himself of pride and of self and not indifferent to the temporal good of man as he showed by setting an example of industry as a temp nature anxious to relieve the distress of the needy as he showed by that diligent collection for the poor and after the historian Eusebius claims and records that Paul was martyred uh, in AD 67 I'm now just picking up uh, in the uh, momentous sayings as I've called it uh, in Acts chapter 20 which is what he said when he was leaving Ephesus and when he thought he wouldn't leave wouldn't see them again He says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And now elderly Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. In front of him he knew what was happening. And you imagine the the, the weight of heart to think that having done all those things, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that actually many of these people that he'd been preaching to, that he'd stayed with, been in their houses, they were going to come up with different things, wrong doctrines and wrong teachings. And, of course, that was a terrible thing for him, but does it not absolutely all of these things and the importance of him going round preaching these various things? We could ask ourselves, does it matter what we believe? Did it matter what Paul thought? And... Here we can have no possible doubt about the fact that he was utterly convinced that the truth was something that was absolutely on the basis of everything at all. And that's why I've selected this as a momentous saying. Also of your own selves, his actual people, that that he had gone through and been beaten up, as it were, in order to bring the truth to them. These actual people, of your own selves, shall men arise speaking perverse things to show, to draw away disciples after them. And then, of course, if we look beyond Paul's time, that we don't, it's not our subject tonight, but what actually happened was that those ideas which the Jews had been putting forward, then they became the dominant ones. And so many of the teachings that we see around us did come, and so much of what Paul was working for was lost. He was anxious that the rest of the brethren should look after and feed the ecclesias with sound teaching because he foresaw that time when perverse things would happen. Paul thought this to be such a matter of vital importance that he warned them in ceasing of it already with tears for three years. 
What was his remedy? It's his remedy. It can be our remedy exactly the same today. Acts 20. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those which are sanctified. And then finally, let me just go through a letter to the Galatians, which Paul wrote, probably written at the end of his first missionary journey, contains very strong and urgent words and concerns the hot debate within the Ecclesia about the relative position of Jews and Gentiles. Paul's second journey, AD 50-odd, the first and second letters, as we've seen, were written to Thessalonians, probably within three or four months of each other, written to the Ecclesia he had visited, and are very supportive and appreciative of the witness they were making in the darkness of the world around them. But his message contains the hostility of the Jews to Christianity. His second letter, followed quite shortly after, was written when he learned that the anticipation of the very near return of Jesus had caused some in the Ecclesia to stop working. And there is the sort of kickback that came that he found. That in trying to tell them that Jesus Christ was coming back, then half the Ecclesia then said, oh, well, we don't need to work anymore. We'll just wait for Jesus to come back. And so that's when Paul had to write this second Ecclesia uh, uh, to the second letter. And during his third missionary journey, the first and second letters to Corinth, one of which you read tonight, some of, and also to the Romans, in his letter to Rome, he looks forward to visiting them. But in fact, it was as a prisoner that he finally went there. In the light of the continuing problems between the prejudices of Jew against Gentile, Paul seeks to demonstrate that the law of Moses was only intended as a temporary institution until the eternal truths of salvation came. And so he wrote also to the Philippians, the Colossians and Timothy. And uh, I shall finish up by thinking of Paul's second letter to Timothy, which was the last one that he wrote and it's likely that he had been rearrested, and that as a result of his trial before Neo, he was put to death. This is the last of his letters. His advice to Timothy was much the same as in his first letter, and he stressed the need to fight a good fight and stand fast as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that although man is mortal, God has promised a crown of life to two believers when Jesus appears. It is a very personal and poignant letter with Paul requesting that Timothy comes to see him bring his cloak and a parchment that had been left beside, behind. And so with that little summary, which is totally inadequate when you look at the enormous volume of things there are, but it has just given us that little view of what this man Paul was. He is just beyond all things. And if we want, as he says to us, be ye imitators of me as I am of Christ Jesus. And we thought about that this very morning when we pictured those footsteps going forward of the Lord Jesus Christ and behind them the footsteps of Jesus. And the invitation as a result of considering these things is for us, each one individually, to join in, to let our footsteps come in the footsteps of that man Paul so that when... The Lord Jesus comes and we stand before. It may, may it be that we may be received and given that throne of righteousness which the God, the righteous God shall give at that day. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, 
videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.